Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Thursday, April 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. Uh, You can find us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely recommend that you go out there. A lot of great listening, um, near 60 now podcasts out there, very carefully curated um, and a wide, wide variety of topics all approached kind of from a Christian standpoint. So definitely worth your while to head out there. I would highly recommend it. I also want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. Uh, We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can then shift gears and start up a um, Christian classic education-based school to provide a safe alternative within our and a trustworthy alternative within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. You can read a much more thorough description there than I've given you just now. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask for you to pray for us. We'd ask you for you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so that others can do do the same. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead in our morning segment today, and we're going to read through our Bible readings for the day. And then this evening, we'll be, God willing, we'll be continuing in our study in the Gospel of John and John chapter 7. So let's open up with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. Excuse me. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of Scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state. (sighs) And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right. And now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Uh, the text for this morning's devotion is from Song of Solomon or Song of Songs 113. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. Myrrh may well be chosen as the type of Jesus on account of its preciousness, its perfume, its pleasantness, its healing, preserving, disinfecting qualities, and its connection with sacrifice. But why is he compared to a bundle of myrrh? First, for plenty. He is not a drop of it, he is a casket full. He is not a sprig of flower of it, but a whole bundle. There is enough in Christ for all my necessities. Let me not be slow to avail myself of him. Our well-beloved is compared to a bundle, again, for ver- again for variety, for there is in Christ not only the one thing needful, but in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything needful is in him. Take Jesus in his different characters and you will see a marvelous variety. Prophet, priest, king, husband, friend, shepherd. Consider him in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, second advent. View him in his virtue, gentleness, courage, self-denial, love, faithfulness, truth, righteousness. 
Everywhere he is a bundle of preciousness. He is a bundle of myrrh. For preservation, not loose myrrh to be dropped on the floor or trodden on, but myrrh tied up, myrrh to be stored in a casket. We must value him as our best treasure. We must prize his words and his ordinances, and we must keep our thoughts of him and knowledge of him as under lock and key, lest the devil should steal anything from us. Moreover, Jesus is a bundle of myrrh for specialty. The emblem suggests the idea of distinguishing discriminating grace. From before the foundation of the world, he was set apart for his people, and he gives forth his perfume only to those who understand how to enter into communion with him, to have close dealings with him. Oh, blessed people whom the Lord hath admitted into his secrets, and for whom he sets himself apart. Oh, choice and happy who are thus made to say, A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. All right, well, we're going to be reading. We're going to start in Joshua 7, verse 16, and we'll read through to Joshua 9, verse 2. And then we're going to be reading the first 18 verses of Luke 16. We'll be reading Psalm 82, and then Proverbs 13, verses 2 and 3. So, let's go ahead and get started. Joshua 7, verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zerahites. And he brought the family of the Zerahites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household household near man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and declare to me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua, and said, Truly I have sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, fifty shekels in weight. Then I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent, with the silver underneath it. And they took them from inside the tent, and brought them to Joshua, and to all the sons of Israel. And they poured them out before Yahweh. (sighs) Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? Yahweh will, Yahweh will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And Yahweh turned from his burning rage. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Joshua 8 Now Yahweh said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So you shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose thirty thousand men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. And he commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will come near the city, and it will be that when they come out to meet us as at the first, we will flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing before us as at the first. So we will flee before them. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city. For Yahweh your God will give it into your hands. Then it will be that when you have seized the city and you shall set the city on fire, you shall do it according to the word of Yahweh. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them away, and they went to the place of ambush, and remained between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua, excuse me, but Joshua spent that night among the people. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and mustered the people, and he went up with the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. Then all the people of war who were with him went up, and drew near, and arrived in front of the city, and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and Ai, 
and he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So they set the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city, and its rear guard on the west side of the city, and Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened that when the king of Ai saw it, the men of the city hurried and rose up early and went out to meet Israel in battle, he and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who had not gone out after Israel. And they forsook the city, leaving it open, and pursued Israel. Then Yahweh said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. Then the men in the ambushes ambush rose quickly from their place and when he had stretched out his hand they ran and entered the city and captured it and they quickly set the city on fire then the men of ai turned back and looked and behold the smoke of the city ascended to the sky and they had no place to flee this way or that for the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers but joshua and all israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city ascended so they turned back and struck down the men of ai and the others came out from the city to meet them, so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they struck them down until there was no one remaining for him who survived or escaped. But they seized the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. Now it happened that when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness when they, where they pursued them, and all of them fell by the edge of the sword until they were completely destroyed, then all Israel turned back to Ai struck it with the edge of the sto- and struck it with the edge of the sword so all who fell that day both men and women were 12000 all the people of ai for joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted to destruction all the inhabitants of ai israel took only the cattle and the spoil of that city as plunder for themselves according to the word of yahweh which he had commanded joshua so joshua burned ai and made it a heap forever a desolation until this day and he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua gave a command, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Then Joshua built an altar to Yahweh, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of Yahweh had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man has had wielded an iron tool. And they offered burnt offerings on it to Yahweh and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there on the stone a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. And all Israel with their elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh, the sojourner as well as the native. Half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal just as Moses the servant of Yahweh had given a command at first to bless the people of Israel. Then afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the sojourners who were going among them. All right, Joshua 9, verses 1 and 2. Now it happened when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the Shephelah and on all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with the Israel. All right. Luke 16 verses 1 through 18. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a steward. And the steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called for him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, people will take me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, One hundred baths of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. 
Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, One hundred cores of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward, because he had acted shrewdly, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves from the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it falls you will take you they will take you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. All right, and now Psalm 82. <sighs> okay, a Psalm of Asaph. God takes his stand in the congregation of God. He judges in the midst of gods. How long will you judge unrighteously and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Can give justice to the poor and the orphan. Justify the afflicted and destitute. Protect the poor and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know and do not understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men, and you will fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who will inherit all the nations. All right, and finally, Proverbs 13, verses 2 and 3. From the fruit of a man's mouth he eats what is good, but the soul of the treacherous desires violence. The one who guards his mouth keeps his soul. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. All right. Well, that is our Bible study reading for this morning segment. I thank you for spending this time with me. Again, I continue to pray that this, this time in the Word every morning is uh, beneficial to you. It's edifying to you. Um, it helps you to continue to be more saturated in the Word. I do want to continue to remind you that this is not a substitute for you doing your own Bible reading and your own Bible study, please do that as well. Um, because like I said, we're reading through the Bible in the year. I've got two other plans I'm doing that I'm reading the Bible in the year and each of them. And, and I don't say that to go, Oh, look at me. I say that to say, it's still not enough. And I do that. And on top of that, I do Bible study. Um, and it, it, it does, it takes time. Um, and it's time that maybe I could be doing something else. But the fact is I'm called to do this for Christ. I'm called to do this for God, to bring glory to God. And so are you. So please, I, I'm very, very grateful that you spend this time with me, but please don't try to replace time in the word of God on, on your own with it. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We're going to go ahead and close out with a prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Choices. Uh, here we go. Let's pray. Oh God, though I am not, though I am allowed to approach thee, I am not unmindful of my sins. I do not deny my guilt. I confess my wickedness and earnestly plead forgiveness. May I, with Moses, choose affliction rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin. Help me to place myself always under thy guiding and guarding care, to take firmer hold of the sure covenant that binds me to thee, to feel more of the purifying, dignifying, softening influence of the religion I profess, to have more compassion, love, pity, courtesy, to deem it an honor to be employed by thee in, in, as an instrument in thy hands ready to seize every opportunity of usefulness, and willing to offer all my talents to thy service. Thou hast done for me all things well, hast remembered, distinguished, indulged me. 
All my desires have not been gratified, but thy love denied them to me. When fulfillment of my wishes would have proved my ruin or injury, my trials have been fewer than my sins. And when I have kissed the rod, it has fallen from thy hands. Thou hast often wiped away my tears, restored peace to my mourning heart, chastened me for my profit. All thy work for me is perfect, and I praise thee. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. And again, I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, April 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. We're going to be doing working on our Bible study in John chapter 7. We're going to be moving on. We're going to be doing John chapter 7, verse 25 through 29. This is a new section. Now, again, and I've told you all before, um, I have a tendency, uh, it just honestly, it saves me time. Um, I, I, I use one of my primary resources for research is Dr. MacArthur's, uh, John MacArthur's, um, commentaries. And so the, the titles of these sections and of these different, different segments that we, that we do in our Bible study, they're right out of his commentary. I, I'm not trying to claim, um, any kind of, uh, any kind of, you know, I'm not trying to plagiarize him. It just, honestly, it's easier. It saves me time. Um, maybe that's lazy of me. I don't mean it to be, but, um, it, it just helps. And, and honestly, it's, it's a, it's a good research tool. I would definitely recommend them to you. Um, they are, they are not written on, uh, university doctoral level kind of thing. They're very thorough, but, but they're very, very easy to get into and read. Um, definitely worth your while. If you want to, they usually anywhere from 19 to 20 bucks a piece. Now I will say it's, 33 to 35 books in the whole set so it's not going to be cheap if you want the whole set but the way i do them is like once a month i'll buy one so i'm slowly building up my collection but so anyways just wanted to let you know so we're going to be working on the section so the reason i brought it up is we've come into a new section here in john chapter 7 and you know we we had the section we'd worked on last was the claims of christ so now we're going to see the crowd's reactions to the claims of christ Christ. And this first one is going to be um, verse 25 through 29 is the dense confusion of the crowd, the dense confusion of them. So we'll be working on that, but let's go ahead and get into it. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer and our uh, evening devotion, and then we'll get on into the Bible study. Let me see if I can read this. There we go. All right, let's pray. Oh, I'm sorry. The title of the prayer we're going to be using this morning or this evening is the convicting spirit. So let's pray. Thou blessed spirit, author of all grace and comfort, come work repentance in my soul. Represent sin to me in its odious colors that I may hate it. Melt my heart by the majesty and mercy of God. Show me my ruined self and the help there is in him. Teach me to behold my creator, his ability to save, his arms outstretched, his heart big for me. May I confide in his power and and love, commit my soul to him without reserve, bear his image, observe his laws, pursue his service, and be through, be through time and eternity a m- monument to the efficacy of his grace, a trophy of his victory. Make me willing to be saved in his way, perceiving nothing in myself but all in Jesus. Help me not only to receive him but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, be conformed to him, Follow him, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials but thankful for my state. Give me that faith which is the means of salvation and the principle and medium of all godliness. May I be saved by grace through faith, live by faith, feel the joy of faith, do the work of faith, perceiving nothing in myself. May I find in Christ wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right. And now our evening devotion uh, for April 13th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. And the text for it is from Leviticus 1.4. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. By the way, I don't know if I've ever pointed this out, but Spurgeon, 
um, that his quotes are King James are from the King James version. At least I, I believe they're from the King James version. So that's why it may sound a little bit different than, than what you and I typically read. But again, so that's the text for it. Our Lord's being made sin for us is set forth here by the very significant transfer of sin to the bullock, which was made by the elders of the people. Yeah, which was made by the elders of the people. The laying of the hand was not a mere touch of contact, for in some other places of scripture, the original word has the meaning of leaning heavenly as in the expression, thy wrath lieth hard upon us, upon me. Psalm 88, 7. Surely this is the very essence and nature of faith, which doth not only bring us in, in, into contact with the great substitute, but teaches us to lean upon him with all the burden of our guilt. Jehovah made to meet upon the head of the substitute all the offenses of his covenant people. But each one of the chosen is brought personally to ratify this solemn covenant act, when by grace he is enabled by faith to lay his hand upon the head of the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Believer, do you remember that rapturous day when you first realized pardon through Jesus the sin-bearer? Can you not make glad confession and join with the writer in saying, My soul recalls her day of deliverance with delight? laden with guilt and full of fears. I saw my Savior as my substitute, and I laid my hand upon him. Oh, how timidly at first, but courage grew and confidence was confirmed until I leaned my soul entirely upon him. And now it is my unceasing joy to know that my sins are no longer imputed to me, but laid on him. And like the debts of the wounded traveler, Jesus, like the good Samaritan, has said of all my future sinfulness, set that to my account. Blessed discovery, eternal solace of a grateful heart. All right. Well, we're going to be continuing on in our Bible study this evening. Uh, like I said, we're continuing on in John chapter 7. Um, so, you know, we as we got into John 7, we saw, you know, Jesus, again, Jesus saying, and I know I'm running through review. It's just so we, we keep our mind on where, where we are and what's going on at this. So, Jesus was staying in Galilee because the the <laughs> the the Jewish leadership was trying to kill him. They were they were trying to persecute him. So he stayed up in Galilee. But of course his brothers, you know, Feast of Booths is coming around, Feast of Tabernacles, they're the same thing. It's coming around. This is usually in the fall. So it's coming around. And so is the brothers who maybe they believe he's the Messiah, but maybe maybe they don't, at least from what we can tell, they don't seem to believe the Messiah of the Bible. They, they, they like the rest of the, Jew, of the Jewish people, the rest of the Israelites at this time, are, are looking for a temporal leader, uh, a king that's going to throw off the Roman yoke and is going to provide for them, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I've told you this before. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good possibility that that's where the brothers were coming from is, hey, you know, you're the Messiah. It's time to head up to the Feast of Booths. This is one of the biggest feasts we have all year. Um, there's going to be lots and lots of people there. They'll flock to you. You know, they'll flock to you. You'll, you'll, you'll get really, really big. You'll have the people behind you. You'll have the power to do this. And of course, like we saw, Jesus, you know, very clearly tells them, listen, it's not the right time yet. It's not time for me to go up to the feast yet. So, you know, we saw that divine timetable. He showed us that divine timetable that it wasn't God's time yet for him to go. What ended up being God's time was for him to go up about halfway through. That's what the Greek indicates there. About halfway through the feast, he then went up. And he went right into the, right into the outer court of the temple where the rabbis usually taught and commenced, talking, commenced teaching. And taught with such an authority and taught very different from the Jewish teachers of the day who tended to lean on um, the authority of others, who their, who their teachers had been, other people that were respected. They would quote them. Well, Jesus didn't. Jesus quoted himself and he quoted the scriptures. That was it. He wasn't quoting other people. He quoted the scriptures and he quoted it with authority. He quoted God's law. And so then we went into this section that dealt with the claims of Christ. So the first one was, you know, they were, they were so amazed. Jesus makes clear of where his knowledge comes from, what, where his teaching is coming from. And he made clear it came from God and God alone, you know. Um, and then we saw him move on into his surety, what we called his surety. And it was that, you know, for, for the one that, that 
truly had the discipline to do the will of God, that that one would know that what Jesus was teaching was God, what was the knowledge of God. What Jesus was teaching was the teaching of God and God alone. So that was the surety. And then last week, as, as I mentioned last night, we saw his selflessness. We saw the selflessness where he made very, very clear. He wasn't putting himself forward. He wasn't looking for his own honor. He wasn't trying to get any accolades for himself. He wasn't trying to trying to push himself forward into the limelight. He was doing all he all he was doing for God's honor and for God alone. So we saw the selflessness. And then then we saw uh, then we saw a couple nights ago, we saw the sentence that Jesus pronounced upon the crowd there in Jerusalem. Um uh, where did it go? Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> did not Moses give you the law and that none of you does the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And of course the crowd answered, you have a demon who seeks to, who seeks to kill you. Again, he calls them out as, as not being, not, not, not being proper, proper actors in the religion that they had again uh, like i've told you before their their religion sorry i'm adjusting myself here my chair um their religion was apostate what they were practicing in first century and and first century israel was not the faith that god handed handed down through moses to the israelites it was not even close they had so bastardized what it was. It was a mess. Um, it was a dumpster fire. Um, and so, but what he was pointing out is you're not even living up to that. You're not living up to the, to the law of Moses, which was actually the law of God, but it, what we call the Mosaic covenant. You're not even living up to that. You can't even live up to that per perfectly. So, you know, Hey, didn't Moses give you the law, but none of you does the law. He makes clear. And then he, why do you seek to kill me? He calls them out because he, they are seeking to kill him. Those who claim to be the religious leaders, therefore the ones who should be most knowledgeable of the law are breaking it. And of course the, the, the crowd just doubles down on it and, uh, commences to insult him and then, you know, ask the question who seek to kill you. Now I've, I've said for a couple of days, well, you know, you know, Odds are the average person might not know that this is going on, that the, that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are seeking to kill him. But we're going to see in our verses today, some of them did know, okay? But then we moved on into the signs. Last evening, we saw his signs, the signs of Christ. And, and again, he talks there, we talked about it, the circumcision and him healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. And, you know, he made clear, listen, if the need for circumcision, because you, you had to be circumcised on the eighth day, if that fell on a Sabbath, they go ahead and do that, that symbolic purification of, of that man. But he couldn't heal somebody on the Sabbath. It, it made no sense. And that's what he called him out on, you know. And, and like I said last evening, there were other places where he called him out where he said clearly, if your son or, or one of your animals, and I forget which animal it was, he said, fell in a well on the Sabbath day, you would pull them out. But it's not okay for me to heal on the Sabbath. And, you know, making the point that, yeah, it actually is. I, you know, it's the, the Greek there is he's making clear that that statement is wrong. So we get to our verses today. And, and again, like I said, we're in a new section here and these are the reactions to the claims of the, of Jesus Christ. And this first one, we're going to see that these people are in dense confusion. Their, their reaction to the claims Christ has made, the ones we, I just talked you through, um, you know, his, um, his, his, the, his, the source of his knowledge, uh, his surety, his selflessness, his sentence and his signs. Now we're going to see the reactions to it. And so the first one we're going to see here is the dense confusion. And this is the dense confusion of this crowd. So verses 25 through 29 are our verses today. So I'm going to read them. 
So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they're seeking to kill? And look, he's speaking openly and they're saying nothing to him. Do the rulers truly know that this is the Christ? However, however, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So verse, verse 25 here. Like I said, you know, they had said, who is seeking to kill you? Well, obviously some of them knew. So that would make that the previous question a disingenuous question. So verse 25, so some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they're seeking to kill? So at least some of them knew. Um, and and the, the, Greek, the, the Greek syntax here when it says that, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? The way this is done in the Greek, it's, it's, it's asked as a question, but it's expecting a positive answer that they do know that this is the man whom they are seeking to kill. That they're asking it like, isn't this the guy? Isn't this the guy knowing that it is? So that's what's being asked there. Isn't this the, the man that whom they are seeking to kill? So again, they're, they're bearing witness against themselves. They're showing very clearly that they know that here the, these Jewish le this Jewish leadership is violating their own religion for wanting to kill this guy. I mean, he's not done anything. They, 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 they've not even tried him. He's not had a trial yet. And the fact is, in his own trial, there's absolutely nothing in his trial I mean, Pilate's very clear about that, that would justify his murder. And that, and make no mistake about it. You can talk about it any way you want to. But the fact is, what happened to Jesus on the cross was murder. He was murdered. It wasn't justice. It was murder. Uh, don't get me wrong. It was God's justice against our sin. Yes, it was his, his appropriate wrath against our sin. And so in, in, in that cosmic, in that spiritual realm, yes, but in the temporal realm, yeah, they had, they had no reason to crucify him, to murder him. So again, showing again, they're violating their own laws. They're violating their own faith. But then this, this same group, these, some of these people, they're, they're still confused so they go on and look, he's speaking openly and they are saying nothing to him. So again, um, the Greek here, and he is speaking openly. The word there, it means openly, but it also means with, with confidence, with authority, with strength. He's speaking openly and they're not saying anything to him. They're being silent. These, you know, obviously they know the Jewish leadership, at least some of the people know that they're seeking to kill him. But they're letting him speak and speak openly and not saying anything. They're staying saying that they're staying silent. So then they ask another question. Do the rulers truly know that this is the Christ? Now, that wasn't a genuine question either. The, the, the Greek syntax here and, and the Greek implication here is this is a question that expects a no answer. Do the rulers truly know that this is the Christ? So it's more of a, don't the rulers know that this is not the Christ? That's more what this is saying. That the way they're behaving is as if they believe it's the Christ and this is the Messiah, but we know it's not. And we see that continued in verse 27. Um, so, like I said, so... They had said, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? And like, like I said, um, and I'm sorry, I, I got interrupted there for a minute. And, you know, it was they're expecting. Um, um, I'm sorry, do the rulers truly know that this is the Christ? And of course, they expected a negative answer. They don't believe this is the Christ. They don't believe that the rulers believe this is a Christ, but they're acting like it is. And verse 27, they confirm that. However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. So they're claiming they know where he's from. Now, now obviously, they really don't. Um, one of the things that keeps coming up is he's from Nazareth. And how can anyone that comes from Nazareth, there, there, there's nothing anywhere written down that the, that the Messiah would come from Nazareth. Well, that's true. Except the fact 
Jesus didn't come from Nazareth. And had they bothered to do their research, and as it became clear, I mean, and I brought it up, I think it was back in John 6, that it's clear that they've done enough research to have a general idea about this Jesus. But the fact is, had they done the solid research, they would have seen the fact that Joseph and Mary would have had to go to Bethlehem around the time of his birth, therefore that he would have been born in Bethlehem, therefore meeting the prophecy about him. But again, the people are sitting here going, we know where this guy is from, but whenever the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. Now that part of it, whenever the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. This came out of, and I didn't know this, um, I got this out of uh, MacArthur's commentary, that there there was a, this was tradition. This was tradition among, um, among the Jews of the first century. Um, and, and some of it came from misinterpretation of some verses in Isaiah um, that seemed to indicate, but they don't really, that nobody would know where the Messiah came from. That's not true. That's not true. But, but so they assumed that no one would know where he's from. So if they know that Jesus is from Nazareth, which is still not the right place, again, misinformation misinformation and misinterpretation is leading him here that they're leading them there but whenever the christ comes no one knows where he's from well no that's not true that's distinctly not true that's false news <laughs> okay that's fake news that's not true they will know where he's from because isaiah i think it's isaiah anyways the prophecies in the old testament state clearly that he will be born in bethlehem so Again, they're making very, very clear. No, this can't be him because we wouldn't know where he was from if that's so. Well, then we see Jesus, verse 28. He cries out in the temple teaching and saying, you both know me and know where I am from. Now, I didn't really get this, but in the Greek, so in MacArthur's commentary, he indicates, and in the Greek, you both know me and know where I am from. Basically, he's saying that sarcastically. He's making very, very clear that they don't know him because otherwise it'd be a con contradiction between that and and places where he says very clearly, you don't even know me. You don't know me and you don't know him, him who sent me. It would contradict. But in this case, the, the, the Greek syntax, the way this is written, he's saying, when he says, you both know me and know where I am from, he's actually what he's saying is, you've got no idea who I am or where I'm from. You don't know. And you don't know because you didn't. And, and it's actually, he's calling them out. Because the fact is, they have the prophecies, they have the documentation, and particularly the Jewish leadership. Had they done the research they're supposed to do, and had they truly been the scholars and the authorities they claim to be, they would know him, and they would know where he was from, and they would have accepted him in the Messiah, and they would have lauded him, and they would have celebrated him. But they didn't know. So Jesus goes on, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Again, making clear, they do not know the God, the God they claim to know, the God they claim to study, the God they claim to be authorities on, the God they claim to worship, they don't know. And he makes clear, I haven't come of myself. I didn't come on my own accord, is what he's saying. I came because God sent me. Again, but he who sent me is true, that he sent me and he sent me in truth, but he goes, whom you do not know. And then he makes clear in verse 29, I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Again, making clear that he knows him because God sent him and he came from him. Making very, very clear that in this argument, He's the only one who has the high road. He's the only one who has the strength of the argument that they don't know the God they're supposedly arguing about and trying to claim he's blaspheming, that they don't know that, that because of, because of that, they don't know their scriptures properly, so they don't understand that he's the Messiah. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, they don't want to. I mean, and it's all disbelief. But in a lot of cases, it's, it's I don't want to believe it. I mean, we really see. I don't want to believe it. How many times have we, do we have we seen already in John and will continue to see where they keep asking him for more signs? They did it right after the feeding of the 5,000. They asked for more signs. Now, of course, that was up in Galilee, but the same stuff ends up happening down in Jerusalem. I mean, the, the Jewish leadership explicitly, and I can't remember where it is in the Gospels, he had just done a, a healing miracle, I think, if I remember right, and they turn around and they ask him to do another, to do another miracle and will believe. No, they won't. I mean, they've hardened their hearts at that point. 
And Jesus isn't going to play that game, and he calls him out on it. But again, he's, he's making very, very clear, you don't know me. And, and it's not just you don't know me as if you've never met me. It was a, had you studied the scriptures the way you claim and learned the way you were supposed to and truly taken it to heart and been like um, where Jesus or, or where God speaks, I think it's through uh, Joshua, either through Moses or Joshua that 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 his, that God's word should be on their doorpost and on their on their um hands I think it's on their hands and on phylacteries before their eyes it was part of the way they would dress before their eyes so that the word was constantly before them and it, and it would saturate them as as I talked to you guys about that it would saturate them and that they would truly know well they, uh, they haven't done this and this is Jewish I mean yeah he's talking to the people here but again, this was a people that even then, part of your base education was learning the Old Testament. That was a part of their base, base education growing up, and everybody learned it. And then, of course, you have the Jewish leadership who were supposed to be scholars in it and supposed to be experts in it. But none of them, he's calling out, none of you obviously paid enough attention. None of you obviously truly learned this. Or you would know me, but because you, but because you didn't, you don't. And that it's clear, I didn't come of myself, but he who sent me, but God, he is true, whom you do not know. Again, you don't know God. You have not studied this well enough. You don't know enough about this. You're not doing the right things here. You don't know. That's what he's proclaiming. You don't know. And so they're in complete confusion. They don't, they don't understand. They really don't. And, and of course it confuses them. You know, hey, isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? Well, basically they're saying, hey, this is the guy they're trying to kill. But they're not doing anything. He's preaching with such authority here. And, 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 uh, there we go. Uh, let's see. Um, he's speaking openly. So again, with such force and authority. And they're saying nothing to him. Do the rulers truly know that this is the Christ? You know, of course, like I said, an indication that this can't really be him. There's no way this could be him. And they go on, you know, like I said, they go on because they, they think they know where he came from and they shouldn't if he's the Messiah, which is, like I said, is wrong. It's fake news. But again, they are so confused because here is the Messiah standing before them that has met all the prophecies, all of them. And not only is their Jewish leadership giving them mixed signals and all of them wrong, they don't understand their own documents enough. They don't understand the law of God. They don't understand their old, the Old Testament, what, what was their religious text. They don't understand it enough nor have they put the effort into it enough, nor have they truly taken it to heart and been saturated in it to know who he was and thus knowing him to know God. And that's what Jesus is calling them out for. The, the pictures they had of, this, of the Messiah were so skewed and so warped. And so their perception of the real Messiah was so messed up through unbelief. And that's what happens in our world today, the world around you and I. We've got so many out there that want to create Jesus's messiahs of their own making. Um, God is love, 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 love. They, that, they, they, that's the, one of the biggest ones. But God is wrath. God is justice. Yes, he is goodness. He is loving kindness. But he has wrath and justice too. And oh, they don't want to deal with that. They want to warp it. They they can't see. And, and part of it, a big part of it, one of the biggest parts of it, again, is scriptural illiteracy, particularly among the church, even worse among the church, that we don't stay in the scriptures enough. We don't learn it. It doesn't become like phylacteries before our eyes and on our doorposts and on our hands so that we're constantly, constantly exposed to the word of God as it, as it, as we should be. 
Because if so, then we wouldn't fall into the confusion that he that you see here among this Jewish crowd, and honestly, that you see today throughout the evangelical church itself, throughout our own churches. We see that. I I, I know we, we see it in our own church, where we've got we've got folks that are so confused because they they're not getting it. They're not taking it in. They formed their own opinions. There's constant disbelief there. And we've got to get beyond that. We need to help them beyond it, and we've got to get beyond it ourselves. And that means we've got to stay in the Word of God. So that's where we've got to be. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer and hold on a minute. i got to pull it up. I forgot to pull it up before we got going here. There we go. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Um, I hope you have a good night's sleep, and I hope to see you in the morning. Let's, we're going to go ahead and close with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called Protection. O Lord God, Thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon Thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to Thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts Thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger, that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. Okay, again, I hope you have a great night, and I hope to see you in the morning. Have a good one. God bless. Music.